You may be seated. So the title of today's sermon is Generosity. In specific, this is about financial, I'm just going to come right out and say it, financial generosity. That is, that part of financial generosity that is generous to your church. Now, some of you are guests, and maybe you're online, and you're just about to hit the button. Don't hit the button, please. If you're a guest, you get a pass. We're not trying to get you to start giving the cornerstone. If you've got a cool million and you want to drop it in, go ahead. It's all right, but we're not, we're not here to get your money. We're here to give to you. So let us know how we can serve you. Let us know how we can give to you. We're here for you. But even if you're a guest, and we're here for you, so you get a pass, you ought to listen to this sermon because you need to be a part of some church somewhere that you can call your church. And in that church, you ought to be financially generous. So this, this sermon's for you as well, but it's for all of us. So here we go. I'm going to jump right in. Here's my thesis. I'm going to come right out and tell you what this is about. My thesis is that you should be financially generous with your church. Yes, there I said it. If this is your church, you should be financially generous with this church. If some other church is your church, that church. But you should have a church that is your church, and then you should be financially generous with it. Because it is an outpost of the kingdom of God. And you want to be generous with the kingdom of God, with what God is doing on the planet. And he's doing it through his people, and he's doing it through churches like this one. So we want to be generous with his kingdom. We want to be generous with sending the gospel. We want to to be generous with people gathering to worship. We want to be generous with our church. Let me just pause and say, hats off at a big heartfelt thank you to many of you who are generous and consistently generous to this local church. Thank you so much from the Lord to you. Um, May he bless you. May he give you uh, blessings that you're going to see later on in this sermon. And maybe today we'll add some others to your number and they'll become financially generous with their church. All right, I'm going to keep proceeding with a question. Here's a question. It's a question that I can feel in the room. It's a question that might be in some of your hearts. And the question is, why? Why should I be financially generous with my church? Why? I don't make a lot of money. Uh, I have a lot of children. Um, my kids are in college. Uh, I got a lot of bills. Uh, why should I be generous with my local church? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to give you reason number one. This is the most important thing I'm going to talk about this morning about why you should be generous. Reason number one, because you need it. This is for you. You need to be financially generous with the kingdom of God. You need to be financially generous with your church. It's for you. It's something you need. You need the practice and the habit and the discipline and the experience. You need the benefits that will accrue to you. We'll look at some of those a little bit later on. It is very important for you 
that you become a principled, systematic, cheerful giver, contributor to the kingdom of God and, and do it habitually and regularly and generously and sacrificially, it's important for you. It's, it's, I'll go a little farther and say, it is one of the disciplines of the Christian life. There are other disciplines. If you want to live the Christian life, you engage in the disciplines. So you, you get the Bible into your heart. Notice I didn't say you read the Bible because there are people who can't read. But they find other ways to get the Bible into their heart. You want the Bible into your heart. That's a discipline of the Christian life. You pray. That is a discipline of the Christian life. You meet someone and you say, do you pray? And they say, never. That's not a Christian. That is not a born-again person. You can't help but pray. The Spirit of God is in you and you pray. It's a discipline of the Christian life. And you fellowship with other believers and you gather for corporate worship and you participate in baptism and communion. These are disciplines of the Christian life. And embedded right in the middle of the list somewhere is the discipline of cheerful, regular, systematic contribution of your financial goods to the kingdom of God. That's one of the disciplines of the Christian life. It's for you. That's why I'm preaching this. I'm concerned about you if you're not engaged in that or any of those other disciplines we just mentioned. It's for you. You need it. And in, in fact, I can, I can honestly say, but I'm going to take this back a little later, but I'm going to say, I'm not preaching this because we need it. I'm going to take that back a little later. We could sure use it because there's a lot of stuff we'd like to do, but can't. But I'm not preaching this because we need it. And some of you, when you get the e-news every week, the only part you look at is you scroll down to the bottom. This is what I do. I scroll down to the bottom. I know the events that are coming up. I scroll down to the bottom and look at what's the financial look like right there. I get my weekly report right there. Some of you go there, and you've been seeing uh, all year, in spite of COVID, that the giving exceeds our budget. Yeah, amen. Some of you have been generous. You'd be interested to know fewer people are giving, but they're giving more. Isn't that curious? So bless you all who carried us through COVID. But um, I'm not preaching this because we have a need. We're doing okay. We are blessed to be able to say what Paul said to the Philippians. Let me show you Philippians 4. He said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Not that I am speaking of being in need. See, they just sent him a gift. He writes Philippians to say thanks. And then he says, but let me qualify this. It's not that. It's not what you might think. I don't want you to get a misunderstanding of this. It's not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's in a Roman prison. He's got nothing. What do you mean you're not speaking of being in need? He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, I am to be content. So you sent me a gift. I'm telling you thanks, but then I'm backing that up with, but I don't really need it. And we're blessed to be in the same place Paul was in. We can say, uh, we don't really need it. I'm not preaching the sermon because we need it. We're doing fine financially. There's no urgent financial need at Cornerstone. But as I told you, I'm going to say later, but there are a whole lot of ambitions. The kingdom of God is not about money, but the, the doing the work of the kingdom of God requires money. We want to do a lot of the work. So there are needs, but it's not that there's some urgent need. That's not the main reason that, that it's important that you contribute. Oh, there's a need, I'll contribute. That's important. But the one we're looking at right now is you need this. Just as you need to pray, just as you need to take in the Bible, just as you need fellowship, just as you need gathered worship, you need regular, systematic, 
giving to the kingdom of God. You need to have that as part of your Christian life. It's, it's as simple as that. And guess what? Paul tells him something really cool next, Philippians 4.17. He adds, here's his second, not that. I don't want you to get this wrong, he says, so it's not that, not what you might think. It's not that I seek the gift. That's what I'm telling you all. It's not that we seek the gift, though I'm going to take that back later. There's a lot we'd like to do. But it's not that I seek the gift, he says, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul's saying, there's a benefit in this to you, the giver. And what I'm really animated by is, I want you to experience and to receive that benefit. So you sent me a gift, thank you very much. I don't really need it. I'm content being here in this Roman prison with nothing. But what really animates me is, I'm glad you gave because it tells me about something going on in your soul. It tells me something about what's going on in your heart. It tells me something about your relationship to God and your relationship to money and things. And I want that for you. I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. That's a metaphor, the fruit that increases to your credit, which when unpacked simply means I like the fact that you gave because it's good for you. It's good for you. So Paul's saying, He wanted them to be generous contributors to the kingdom of God because there's benefit for them in their Christian life in so doing. And he wants them to have that benefit. That's what's moving me today. I want you to have that fruit. So imagine you're in a grocery store. Let's make it Wegmans. You're standing in Wegmans. You're in the fruit aisle. There's a lot of fruit aisles in Wegmans. There's a lot of fruit. There's red stuff and green stuff and yellow stuff and orange stuff and blue stuff. I don't know what's blue, but, oh, blueberries. All right, there you go. There's a lot of fruit. You're standing in God's fruit store. There's a lot of fruit waiting for you in God's fruit store. How do you avail yourself of it? You give. And God gives you fruit. So this is for you because you need it. This is why I'm preaching on this. I I covet this for you. You need the fruit. Some Christians, for some reason, resist fruit. Reminds me of my kids when they were little. And maybe we served up Brussels sprouts. And when I'm sitting there stirring those Brussels sprouts, just hoping they'll go away. You know, if I just stir a little longer, maybe they'll disappear off of my plate. Oops, I dropped it. Can't have it now. Just Brussels sprouts. And they say, why do I have to eat this? And what's your answer? Thank you very much. It's good for you. And some Christians are like, why would I have to financially contribute to God's kingdom? It's God's Brussels sprouts. It's good for you. How is it good for me? Let me give you a sneak peek. I can't spend a lot of time on this today, so I'll just give you a a little short list and a sneak peek. Uh, Here we go. It's going up. Kingdom generosity helps you resist covetousness. It helps you resist covetousness. The Bible tells you to be aware of covetousness. It's the 10th command. You shall not covet. 
There's a lot of covetousness in our hearts. How do we deal with it? Here's one tool in your toolbox for dealing with your covetousness. Regularly, systematically, self-denyingly, sacrificially, you contribute to the kingdom of God, and in so doing, there's something you can't have. I could have bought a nice car with that. That would have made a good monthly payment on a really nice car. I can't have that really nice car because I'm going to cheerfully give it to the kingdom of God instead. It's helping you deal with and reckon with your covetousness. Every time you give, you're like, okay, I give to God. And, And I deny myself. Here's another thing it does for you. Kingdom generosity gives you a weekly or monthly, depending on how often you give, put your number in there, recalibration of your heart relative to money and your love for God and your care about his kingdom. Every time, I use Tithely. How many of you use Tithely? So I use the Tithely app, and when I push the button, I try to make it an act of worship. I remember Paul telling the Corinthians that first, the Macedonians gave really generously, and first they gave their hearts to the Lord, and then they gave of their stuff. So they had a recalibrating of their heart every time they go to give. Wait a minute, let me get my heart right. God is God. My money is his. I'm just a steward. I'm going to give this portion to him because I love him supremely. He comes first. I take it off the top. All that stuff, you're recalibrating your heart on a regular, systematic basis. And I believe giving is supposed to help you do that. Here's a third way giving help you, helps you. Uh, kingdom generosity furnishes you with a weekly, weekly reminder that you are a steward. What's a steward? A steward is somebody who holds and cares for the possessions of another. So nothing that you have is really yours. None of the money you have is your money. You can't give a portion to God and say, now the rest of this is mine. No, it's all his. Let me read you a couple of scriptures. These are not going up on the screen. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's all his. Haggai 2, 8, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Helps you to learn this. I'm just a steward. Regular giving reminds you, oh yeah, that's right, it's all God's. I'm responsible for how I use what God has put into my hands. The more he puts into my hands, the more of a burden it is to handle it responsibly as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. So there are, there are reasons why this is good for you. And my interest in preaching on this is your heart. That part of your heart specifically that relates to God and his kingdom and your cash. Now the story is told, and I doubt if it's true, but the story is told that a guy was getting baptized. So there he was, he was coming out that door and coming into the pool where a pastor stands waiting to baptize him. And you notice he's wearing a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, but he's got something in his hand and you're curious, what's, what's, what's that in his hand? And you look and, and it's his wallet. You think, what's he, was he afraid somebody's gonna steal it if he leaves it back there? What's going on? Why's he got his wallet in his hand? And he gets in and Pastor Stan says in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and dips him into the water and the guy goes like this. When he goes in the water, that's his wallet. Like he said, Lord, you can have all of me. I'm yours, but, but, but not this. 
Some of y'all might need to get baptized with your wallet. So, why should I systematically and sacrificially support my local church and the kingdom of God? Answer one, you need it. Here's ready, are you ready for answer number two? Here it is, number two. Your church needs it. All right, now I'm gonna tell the truth. Your church does need it. It's not that there's some big financial need, but there are ambitions. There are things we want to do in the name of Jesus Christ. And those things require some resources. So there are things that we want to do. Now, I want to explain to you, there's something broken about the way we do our budget. That the, and the financial team, as we worked on the budget for 2021, we were talking about this and trying to figure out how should we approach this, and we came up with one little idea, but here's the thing that's broken. So to create the budget for a coming year, we look at how much did people give in the past year, and then maybe we up that by a couple percent, and there's the new budget. The thing is, then, that's easy to meet, and so for the rest of the ne- next year, a whole bunch of you look at it and say, well, I don't need to give because they're already meeting budget and we don't stretch you. We could hand you all a really big budget next year because there's a lot of things we'd like to invest in in the kingdom of God. I'll even give you some ideas of some things, but first let me just mention to you, we also incurred some extra expenses this year. COVID hit, and you look at our financial report and you see, well, the giving is above the budget consistently all year long. Bless the Lord. What you don't know is we spent way over budget this year. Most of it COVID-related. There's a lot we had to do to get ourselves online, et cetera, et cetera. So we spent, should I give them the figure? Sorry, give them the figure. We spent $60,000 over budget, most of that related to things we had to do because COVID hit and we had to go online and buy a bunch of stuff and whatever. Uh, You don't know that part. And you look at, oh, they're doing fine. No, actually, $60,000 went out that we didn't want to go out. But more than that, There's so much we want to do, and the two biggest things we want to do are church planting. That's the big one. There's so much more. You all don't know this yet. You'll find out. Starting January 1 of next year, uh, we're supporting a new church, another church, another church plant in Baltimore. I love the pastor. He's going to preach here next August, fourth Sunday, next August. His name is Adam Mutasib. He was raised in a Muslim family, in the Muslim faith, and he became a believer and he's planning a church downtown Baltimore, and we're getting involved, and we were only able to give him this much. Well, we'd like to give him this much. And not just him, but that one, and that one, and that one, and that one, and we're interested in planting one of ours again. It's been a while, you know. We planted Freedom Church. They planted Freedom Church number two. We're supporting that one, and both of them have it as their ambition. They each want to plant a church every three years. That's their goal. Every three years, we will plant a church somewhere in the Baltimore area, We haven't planted a church in 13 years because we're looking at our budget saying, why should I give? It's all right. They're meeting their needs. There's no need to sacrifice. Oh, what we should put in the budget is everything we want to do. And then you'd be like, how come we're so far off a budget? How come it's so bad? And then there are just plain old things like building maintenance. You talk to Mark Lozier. We have two lead deacons. He's one of them, one of our leading deacons. And he's got a list like this, like, we need a new roof in the next five years, they, they think. They're talking about $70,000. Kingdom of God needs people gathering somewhere, and they got to have a roof. We're going to have to put a roof on here. And there's all kinds of other financial projects, expensive projects that they want to do. So your church needs, it's not that we're speaking because there's some dire need, but there are things we need to do. There are things we want to do. We're going to put some of that before you probably at our next core meeting. 
So reason number two, why? Why should I give? Because your church needs it. Reason number three, because Scripture teaches you to do it. I'm going to give you a high-speed tour of some of the places where Scripture teaches you to be a generous contributor to the kingdom of God. We'll start in the Old Testament. I know it's the Old Testament. You'll see how it holds up in the New Testament. There's a pattern. In Numbers 18 and verse 21, God says to the Levites, now they were like the pastors of their day. They were the they were, they were the spiritual leaders. To the Levites, I have given every tithe, so people brought in 10% of their stuff, and it was put in the care of the Levites, and they decided what portion of it has to go to maintain the temple, the building, what portion of it goes to this, what portion of it goes to that. But I, I brought it into the, you bring it into them, I gave it to them for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So Adam Mutasib is supposed to be supported in his ministry, and we're able to help in a little way. We'd like to help in a bigger way. That whole idea of being supported in ministry started in the Old Testament. It comes into the New Testament, and here's what the Lord Jesus says in our quick tour, Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe of the teeniest little things, mint and dill, and how do you pronounce that next word? Cumin? and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which are justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done, justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the others. Tithing of your dill and your mint and your cumin. Don't neglect that and say, well, I'm just into mercy. I'm just into justice. No, no, no. You don't want to neglect supporting the temple either. Paul picks up on this theme, and in 1 Corinthians 9, he writes these words, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? And then he gives us these words, which we wouldn't know unless we got them from Paul. Um, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Adam's supposed to be supported. Pastor Jay Jones is supposed to be supported. There's a whole lot of people we want to support. The kingdom of God doesn't, isn't about money, but it uses money for kingdom ends. And there's a lot Paul wanted those people to do. Um, let me give you a more ex- specific verse, Galatians 6. I've always liked this one. Hmm. Let the one who has taught the word, that's y'all, Share in all good things with the one who teaches. That's Pastor Stan. So what that means is, are you able to buy food? Yeah. Make sure he can buy food. You able to pay your auto insurance? Yeah. Make sure he can pay his auto insurance. Name any good thing you want. You're supposed to share in all good things. Doesn't say make him rich. Just make sure... If you can put new tires on your car, make sure he can put new tires on his car. Let the one who has taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. And don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, there's benefit for you. That will he also reap. Let me give you one more passage. There's a little humor in this one. 1 Timothy 5. Paul says, let the elders who rule well 
be considered worthy of double honor. Pause, stop right there. In the context, he's been talking about supporting widows. They had a list. Here are the widows that are being supported by the financial contributions, by the generosity of the saints. We're supporting these widows. And Paul said they should get honor. He uses the word honor for their support. It's financial honor. It's financial support. They need honor. They need an adequate maintenance for a widow so she can live off of that. Then he says, now you have some elders who rule well, let them be considered worthy. You might not be able to do this for them, but they deserve double honor. So what's it take to keep a widow alive? Just give Pastor Stan double. That's what that's saying. Interesting, there's financial advice for pastoral salaries in the Bible. Doesn't say make them rich. Just maybe twice what a widow needs because he's got a wife and kids. Something like that. All right. Scripture teaches all believers are to give. Next question. Who specifically? Who is supposed to be generous? Say, I, I believe people need to be generous. Pastor Steve, I'm glad we have this church here, this building. We can come together and worship and do all this stuff that we do. I'm glad there are generous people here because I want it all. I'm glad somebody's paying for it. No, who's supposed to be generous? Anybody who makes six figures, they ought to be generous. Who's supposed to be generous? Look at this, Titus chapter 3. Paul says, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing. Here's two guys in the church. You got to send them maybe to where Paul was. Make sure they got what they need. So they need some money for the trip. They need some food. They need whatever they need. Make sure that you provide for them because they're doing the Lord's work. They're going to come down. Make sure they lack nothing. And then he goes on to say, next verse, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, like seeing that they have everything they need, so as to help in cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. There's, there's fruit in supporting Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. There's a whole lot of Zenuses and Apolloses we'd like to send places. There's a whole lot of guys want to plant churches and lead people to Jesus Christ. We want to plant another church to lead people to Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot of lawyers, we, no, I shouldn't say that, lawyers who are leaving the practice of law for a while. Where's Ross? There he is back there. Lawyers, huh? You're in the Bible, bro. Yeah. But if we send you somewhere, we're supposed to cover it. Now, here's an objection that's coming up in somebody's heart. I think I addressed it a little bit earlier, but I want to really talk about it now. Here's an objection. The objection is, but Pastor Steve, we don't have much. Surely that exempts us. We don't, we don't have much. First, I want to say, are you kidding me? Have you looked at the world? Have you looked at how you live and how they live? You have an abundance. But all right, let's say by, by American standards, Harford County, 2021, you don't have much. 
What would you say to that, Pastor Steve? I have a reply, and it's counterintuitive. My reply is, then by all means, you should start immediately being exceedingly generous with the kingdom of God. Here's why. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is helping them to take up the offering. The entire chapter is about reasons why Christians should sacrificially give and support the work of the Lord. But here's what he says in verses 6 and 7, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. He says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. There's something to reap in sowing. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. You're telling me, Pastor Steve, I don't have bounty. Here's where to get it. Start sowing bountifully, and the Bible says you will reap. Now, this is not a health and wealth gospel thing. This is not you can't outgive God and all that. But he's saying God rewards people for things that they do. And Paul goes on to say in that uh, same book, 2 Corinthians 9, and God is able. I'm sorry, did I miss a part? Yeah, I did. Go ahead, back to where you were, Rob. Thank you. You were right. I was wrong. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But now the next verse, please. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The good work he's talking about in that chapter, supporting the kingdom of God. So he's saying if you give a little, God might only give you a little. Why would he give you more? You're not a good steward of the little. Why is he going to give you more? But if you give a lot, God might make you a steward of a whole lot. And he is able to make his grace abound to you, and you will have all sufficiency. Now I could really do some good in the kingdom of God. At all times, and I may abound in every good work. John Piper suggests that what Paul just said in those words might be Paul's way of expressing what Malachi 3.10 says. Let me read it for you. Bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, says the Lord. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You say, I have need, I can't give. God's answer is give and I'll take care of that need. Well, I'm a widow, and I only have a widow's mite. All right, plunk. And see what God does. And here's more about the kind of fruit God gives you. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. And here's how God gives, good measure, pressed down. You ever buy, you ever buy a bag of something? What should we make it? Bag of coffee? and the bag's this tall, and you open it up, and the coffee is that tall. They're selling you more bag than coffee. They're making it look like you're getting a lot. God's bag is stuffed. It is pressed down, shaken together, running over, and that will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is what the Lord Jesus said. So are you financially pressed? What do you do? You especially should become a regular, generous, cheerful, systematic contributor to your church 
as a local outpost of the kingdom of God. A lot of people are waiting until something else happens in their life financially. Well, I want to give, but we're going to wait until... The bad part about that is the until never comes because there's always something more that you want next. I heard a story. This one might be true. It sure fits. I heard a story where a husband and a wife were so glad they had two cows, two calves. They're going to raise them out in that green pasture over there. The calves are getting bigger. They're eating the food. They're so happy they have these two calves. One day the husband comes in and says, honey, I have bad news. You know, we, we, we decided we would dedicate the one to God and the other one we would have for ourselves. God's calf died. Why is it always God's calf that dies? Why is it not our calf died, God's is still good? Here's some next steps I have for you. Six next steps and then I'll be done. A little early today. How do you like that? Next steps. Number one, I just want to encourage you to pray about it. Lord, am I doing what you want me to be doing with what you've put in my hands? I'm a steward. Am I doing what you want me to do with my resources for your kingdom? Pray about it. Second next step, talk with your spouse about it. Don't go out and make a decision all by yourself. So we're going to start and you tell her. No, you ought to have a discussion there. All right. Discuss it with your spouse. Number three, begin immediately. Don't wait to see if your calf lives. That was the whole point of the tithe in the Old Testament, that they were supposed to take off the top. You didn't wait till the end of the year and see, is there anything left? I'll give it to God. Like there's some bones left in there. We'll give God the bones. No, you're supposed to give to him first as an act of faith. I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm giving you this off the top. I'm giving you of the first fruits. There might not be any second, third, fourth, or fifth fruits. I don't know. They haven't been born yet. But I'm going to give you of the first fruits of my flock. It's an act of faith. I'm trusting you that you will provide for me thereafter. Begin immediately. A fourth next step is systematize it. Make it a regular thing. Don't leave it to like haphazard. Like I have a system that I missed in the month of November. And I noticed the other day, I, I can't remember, did I give in November? I better go look. And I opened up the Tithely app and it shows me my history. And I had not yet given in the month of November. So I quick went over to the bank account, that app, and looked to make sure, am I still able to? Yes, I am. Okay, good. Back over to Tithely. It's time for me to give now. I did not stick to my system. But systematize it so it isn't haphazard and it's hit or miss and whatever. And finally, as a next step, I would really encourage you to buy a copy of Randy Alcorn's excellent book titled Money, Possessions, and Eternity and read it and talk about it. It will help you financially. Oh, there is actually a sixth next step. Connect with us about it. Not connect with us so we can get your money. That's not what I mean. If you're having financial difficulties, if you need financial counseling, if you need financial help, if you've got financial struggles, we like to help people. So there's a Connect card in the chair right in front of you. You can use that card, fill it out, turn it in at the Connections desk. They'll get it through to the right people. Or if you're watching with us online, right below the video, there's a Connect With Us link. Just connect with us right there. And we would like to help you, counsel you. In fact, if you want to connect with me and you need a copy of Randy Alcorn's book, I'll give you one. How's that? I'd like you to have it. So connect with us and let us help you 
in your following of Jesus Christ. So I just pushed the button that says, keys, please. That sends Gabrielle a text, and they've told me, don't call attention to it when you do that, but sometimes I'm bad. I want you to pray with me, would you please? Father in heaven, we love that part that we read, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The gold is yours, the silver is yours. Everything I have is yours. It's all yours. Help us then not to be lovers of money. Help us not to be typically American covetous people. Help us not to find our value or our worth in what we possess. Give us generous hearts. Fill our hearts with love for the Lord Jesus with love for the lost people of this planet, with love for the work of the church. And would you put it in hearts to be generous. More importantly, Father, there are people probably in this room, there are people listening online who have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somehow, and in spite of what this sermon was about, would you use it to draw them to yourself, Lord Jesus. May they believe on you and be saved. For we're praying for all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.